0: What's up, everyone? This is episode 232 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Podcast. My X account is at PC. Okay, so since the last episode aired, a lot of big stuff has happened in the hobby world. Panini filed an antitrust lawsuit against Fanatics for, wait for it, trying to monopolize things in the card world. That sounds a little bit familiar. And not long after that, Fanatics countersued Panini over said case, claiming that Panini tried to do the same thing, but they didn't do a very good job at it. And it's hard to take a side here because they're both right to an extent, but yet, oh so wrong. You guys know I'm I'm not happy with either company. And I'll be honest with you, I'd love to give you a more thorough summary today, but this is not the week for me to try and read over 100 pages of legal documents. As usual, though, you can get an excellent recap of everything to this point on Paul Lesko's Twitter, or X, or whatever we call it now. Just search Paul Lesko, and you should be able to find it. As for today's episode, I decided it would be a good time to bring Chad and Carter back one more time to talk about the national You might remember them from episode 228. We talked about everything leading up to the show, and now I want to evaluate all of that prep to see what we did right and what we may need to tweak in future years. And I hope to use this episode as a tool for myself even to sometime down the road in case I need to fix something or a reminder of, hey, here's what went right and here's what didn't. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that in today's main segment. But first, I want to run through some mail real quick. And I'm going to lead things off with a clip from my last listener mailbag, which was episode 223, and then I'll pick things up from there. Okay, a couple more before I close things out here. Alan, aka Suns Win Cards, asks, Now that you have your Bill Russell rookie, is there another big chase card you are after? The listeners need something to root for. Another card that's been on my mind is a Reggie Miller scripted swatches from 2003 Exquisite. And I have seen a couple of those at shows, even though they're numbered to 25. The asking price has been astronomical. You know, that's expected. It's probably still higher than I'm looking to pay. But um, I do, you know, also keep that one in the back of my mind. And
1: Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Some of
0: you have already seen this card on my Instagram, because quite frankly, I couldn't wait to post it. This was the card I referenced in last week's National Recap. I'd been wanting this card. I was saving up so I could make a run at it if I found it at the National. And wouldn't you know it, it showed up on eBay the week before in a BGS 7.5 slab. And this is where I had to practice what I preach because I always tell people the time to buy a rare card is when you see it. And it's probably a good thing I did because I did not see that card at the National anywhere. It might've been there, I didn't see it. So, I'm glad I bought it when I saw it. And as it was, you know, as I was going through that week and kind of watching that auction, I felt pretty good about my chances on this one because number one, it was right before the national. I figure a lot of people are saving up. And then number two, I think that BGS 7.5 grade might have scared some people away. So, anyway, I won it and that took a lot of my national funds, but I was okay with that. However, I had a couple people at the National interested in my Barry Sanders Playmakers Theater. Yes, you know, the one I found in a lot years ago. Yes, I still had it. And would you know, I moved it for the exact same value as this Reggie Miller. So that patience paid off. It was essentially a trade. And I got back some of my National funds in the process on the spot. So I could use them if I needed them. Although I didn't want to force anything while I was there. Uh, and I didn't. Now, as for the card itself, I mentioned the grade was a 7.5. The surface grade was a 7. And I thought it was because of some major scuffing on the front. You know, That's what it looked like according to the auction images. And I'd had pictures of this card from a golden auction as well. So I'd seen it in several spots. It looked scuffed in both places. So if that was on the case, I was probably just going to leave it in the slab, try and maybe clean it up with plastics. But once I got this thing in hand, I realized that the scuff marks were actually on the protective sleeve instead. So this slab and that sleeve made this a really ugly card to look at. And, you know, as you guys know, if you've seen these cards in person, they're not ugly cards. They've got all sorts of foil. They've got all sorts of, you know, the design is just elegant on this one. They look so nice. So it only made sense to try and crack this thing out. Uh, this slab though was thick. I It was this thickest slab I've ever cracked. I've never been more nervous cracking a card out in my life. Uh, No, I did not record it. I had several people ask me that. I didn't want to have to worry about the camera and everything. I just wanted to focus on this, and I took my time, and I made sure I did it right, Uh, but there was plastic flying all over my office. Eventually, I got this thing out, and you know what? I think it was undergraded, and uh, yeah, probably everyone says that, but this one looks really really good to me. I didn't see any digs in the surface. I didn't see any scuffs. I didn't see any major scratches. I honestly, I don't know how it got a seven uh, for the surface grade, but anyway, it's going to look great in a magnetic from here on out because I have no interest in getting my thick patch card slapped, even though I think it would bump up um, quite a bit, you know, but I am super excited about this card. It's one of a couple of Reggie's I picked up right before the national. Both have since been posted on my social media The other one was a dual autograph with um, his sister, Cheryl. So if you missed those, feel free to go back and look for those because those are, like I said, those are on my social media. Okay. The other card I want to talk about today is a card that was at the National, but one that I didn't see while I was there. And I have a feeling it got scooped up pretty quick or it was in somebody's box. Maybe it wasn't even in a case somewhere. Because no one messaged me about it there either. And a lot of people messaged me about a lot of cards. If you were one of those guys, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that because I know stopping at the National and all that chaos and messaging someone about a card takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. So once again, thank you so much to the people that did that. But no one messaged me about this card. And it was a 2013-2014 Panini Immaculate Paul George patch, numbered one out of five, which features the majority of the letter G and then a little bit of the letter E from his last name. So someone found this at the show, they, they purchased it and they went on social media to try and find a Pacers fan to potentially move it to. And that Pacers fan ended up being me. And I have to say it was a pretty smooth deal. I think this person probably did well on the card, but that's okay. You know, I gave them a price that I would have happily paid at the national to me, this Reggie Miller that I talked about. And this Paul George card, these were both national purchases for me, even though I didn't directly get them there myself. So um, I was appreciative that this person sought me out and and I would consider it to be a win-win. And while we're talking, you know, the national here, I think this is a great example of some of the opportunities that the national can create or really any big show for that matter, because people that attend these shows will find cards, a lot of which haven't been on eBay or social media for a while. And then they reintroduce those cards to different parts or different sectors of the hobby ecosystem. So even if you're not going to the show, just know that this type of movement can be a big benefit to you and a big benefit to your collection. And just know that we all play a part. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by Comc.com, And Comc is excited to announce their latest grading partnership with PSA. With over 30 million raw cards available through the marketplace, Comp C is making it even easier for you to buy, sell, and grade your favorite sports, Marvel, and TCG cards. To learn more about the direct grading program, head on over to CompSee.com and check it out for yourself. Additionally, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my affiliate links. And using these links costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access these links, whether it's eBay or Amazon or whatever, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the logo of the shop that you want to shop at, shop as planned, so whatever you're going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard.
2: You're listening to the Wax Museum podcast. Boom, baby.
0: Okay, so a few weeks ago on episode 228, Chad and Carter joined me to talk about their national preparation and expectations, among other things. The three of us spent quite a bit of time together over a three or four day stretch, and I figured it would be a good idea to bring them back on to recap their experience and discuss what worked and maybe what could be improved on in the future as well. So first off, we've got Carter, who goes by MC Basketball PC on social media. And as we discussed in our previous conversation, this was Carter's first national. We'll get into the weeds more in a little bit here. But Carter, if you had to describe your show experience in one or two words, what would you say?
2: Uh, I don't know if I would get outside the bounds too much of what a lot of other people have said. Um, overwhelming is definitely one of my words, and I think that's been everybody's word. And um, I don't know, the the second word would be something eloquent that describes uh, me being pleasantly surprised by uh, not drowning in the overwhelming uh, sea of experience.
0: Okay. And then also joining us today, we've got Chad from the Pack to the Future podcast, which posts every Saturday morning and sometimes on Wednesdays too. Now, on the last intro, I mentioned Chaz, your alter ego, who likes to have a good time. He maybe invests in some unproven football players, that sort of thing. I think I might've seen one white claw on the trip, but otherwise, I think Chaz stayed away. Uh, Chad, did did Chaz make any other appearances in Chicago that I don't know about?
1: No, fortunately didn't. It's actually going to take three card shows of us getting together until you'll actually see Chaz come out. So I try and keep that toned down quite a bit until you guys are fully in my inner circle.
0: Carter's doing the one more motion with his finger. So we are oh so close to having Chaz join us. So uh, I definitely am looking forward to that. Okay. So last time around, we talked about going into this thing with a plan. I mentioned it in my recap last week, even though I had a plan Um, similar to what Carter said. Walking into this year's show, it was still a little bit overwhelming. And even though this was my third national in Chicago, I felt like it was my most difficult one to navigate for a number of different reasons. Carter, take us back to your expectations and your plans going in. And then I want you to assess how well that lined up with what actually happened.
2: Yeah. So my preparation was pretty thorough. I wanted to check every box that I could, and yet, I have i mean, I've, just from having been to other card shows before, I was like, you know, it's not likely that I'm going to check all these boxes that I prepared for when it comes to actually accomplishing those things. And so I set my bar pretty low for the things that I couldn't control, and I, I did check a couple of those boxes, but then the things that I could control... Um, like spending time with people that I wanted to meet up with and and, you you guys especially and just the experiences that I wanted to have. I felt like it went fine. I didn't feel too overloaded, even though there was a lot to do. We were always doing something. I was very exhausted by the end of it. I don't have any regrets about something that I wish I could have done. I think the only things that really were left to be desired was obviously, you know, finding the very specific cards that I was looking for.
0: Yeah. And we will get to that definitely here in a little bit, although you did find some other nice stuff, which that Uh, certainly made it all right. Chad, I'm going to ask you something pretty similar here. You went to Chicago in 2021. You learned a lot from that trip. This year, your hotel was connected to the convention center. I feel like you did a good job of setting yourself up for a successful trip. So do you feel like this was a successful trip
1: for you? Why or why not? It was. It it definitely was. And there's, I think, an impressive aspect even for me and a shocking, I guess, might be a little bit better answer because I didn't go in there with the funds that I would have liked to have to buy cards. And so it made me look at the trip a little bit differently. And even with that being said, it was a success. You mentioned my hotel being connected. We stayed at the Hyatt or I stayed at the Hyatt Regency. It made a big difference because I could just shoot right back to my room. If, if, and when things got a little crowded and overwhelming and hot and sweaty and, you know, all the other adjectives that you've heard. That played a huge role for me, so that that was helpful. kept my mind fresh and allowed me to still go out and do things even after the show, like with you guys, and that made it successful for me.
0: So, Chad, I'm going to stay with you here for a second. I think you mentioned on your show that you were wanting to pick up something Walt Disney related, uh, but it's hard to buy something that's not there. Or maybe if it was there, the comps were just out of this world. I think you wanted a, a 2012 Tom Brady Prism Silver as well. And I didn't see one of those either, which was kind of surprising. So you kind of had to pivot to some other things further down your want list. What all did you pick up while you were there? So
1: you're exactly correct about your statements. I picked up, actually, it wasn't until day three. So I think Friday morning for me two Michael Jordan. So two actually 1993, one was a stadium club, first day issue is a frequent flyer, Jordan and those first day issues from 93 are something that really stood out in my mind as a kid, and one, especially of Jordan, that I always wanted to acquire. And at the time, it was just completely unrealistic. And when I would rip Stadium Club as a kid, just as a quick aside, uh, I would always get Ron Harper. Like, I don't know if you guys ever had this, like, there was always a card nemesis. It felt like I was always pulling a card of someone who I didn't want, and mine was Ron Harper. Um, so I finally picked up that Jordan. That was nice. I picked up a Jordan 1993 Power in the Key which kind of fits that same bill. Um, Those were the two basketball cards I got. I picked up a ticket stub, oddly enough, of WrestleMania 9, which is WrestleMania that I went to with my dad. I think we actually saw this ticket stub in Dallas last year from the same person selling it. Oh, wow. There's only a couple of those that are graded and ended up pulling the trigger on that. And aside from that, there were a couple of redemption packs that I picked up. We could talk about those later or not a couple of Pixar cards from Slapstocks that I didn't know existed. Those were kind of fun. But as far as pickups go, that was it. I mean, it was a small list for me, despite being there Wednesday through Saturday night.
0: Well, you did talk about the 90s inserts and some of those parallels um, when we last chatted. So at least you did find that stuff. And and that stuff that I, I think it was good having that goal because it was something that you could find. Whereas some of the other stuff, you know, we, we address the fact that you can't find everything you're looking for. And, and I thought that was certainly true here. Carter, we've talked about your pyramid probably three or four times on the show now. And a big part of that's Mike Conley. And and in fact, someone walked up to you while we were standing together and they called out Mike Conley basketball PC, which I felt kind of dumb having never made that connection of your username uh, and your Instagram handle before it, it's so obvious now that I think about it. But anyway, we talked about how Chad didn't even see the big stuff he was looking for. Did you see any of the big ones on your list? And what all did you come home with when all was said and done?
2: Yeah. So the first question of, you know, did I see the big things on my list is kind of a yes and a no, because it, my list had some things that were ultra specific and then some things were just kind of specific. And I found those things. Um, did I pick them up? That's also a yes and a no. You know, to be clear, like I, I went in um, not expecting to find these specific cards. I was just like, let me just have these in my mind where I can be asking dealers for them. And if they show up, they show up. And so there was some varied success with, uh, some of the cards that I was looking for, um, that were uh, a little more broad, like the Kareem auto. I was just looking for a nice Kareem Abdul-Jabbar autograph. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I didn't want a sticker auto. I didn't want a low end one. I wanted a nice brand. And, um, you know, you were the one that that was the first to spot the uh, the National Treasures green foil out of five, was able to pick that up for a really good price, and so that was early in the show, and I felt really good about that. And I was like, okay, everything else from here is gravy. And then the next thing that I set my eyes on was something that was had some pretty loose parameters as well. I was looking for a Bill Russell Game War memorabilia card, mm-hmm. not a specific one, so it gave me a lot of leeway. That I didn't have as much success. There were Kareem autos everywhere the Bill Russell cards were really limited. And so I did find one, uh, the seller and I were not able to come to a, an agreement on what it was worth. And so I had to move on from that. Uh, but I picked up some really great cards other than that that fit my collection. And I was able to have a really good time that way, knowing that I had already gotten one of the big cards that I came for. So I got some nice Sharif cards, uh, some refractors and stuff like that, especially this uh, this Courtmasters Fleer refractor. I've been... Trying to put all these cards on my Instagram, so hopefully everybody can go there and see them. Picked up some nice WNBA stuff. This one that I'm really proud of is this Lisa Leslie duo, two gold prisms, the base and the auto from 2022. Found them in separate tables too. Uh, they mm-hmm. were at two different tables, which is a really long shot for you know such a niche collecting.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I feel like I only saw nice WNBA cards at probably two different tables.
2: Yeah, and so I was able to pick those up. It was really cool. Also got a gold dominance insert of Diana Taurasi and Asia Wilson. Um, that was at the same table, so those those make for a nice pair. And then you know some things like I was looking for a prism blue Jaren rookie uh, mm-hmm. at a one ninety nine. I didn't find that, but the budget that I had to buy that card, I spent on an orange prism rookie. Which is great. I feel right. like I it's can, like a fourth I, of the print run, right? Something like that. Exactly. Yeah, it's numbered out of forty nine, and, and it was worth like the same that uh, the Prism blue is, which is interesting. But yeah, and so obviously like the Kareem Auto, that was really great. And then I was able to actually pick up some some of the best WBA cards. I picked up. Um, I picked up in a trade. It was it was cash and trade for a really big card that I had. Um, that was one of my big successes from the show was just selling uh, one of the WNBA cards that I brought for more than I ever thought I could sell a WNBA card for, which was really great. So that was a big success for me. But yeah, just that between that and and other little pickups, it was it was really fun to be buying throughout the week, even though it wasn't necessarily the exact things were on my list.
0: Now, I believe, you know, looking at the exact things on your list, both of you were selling some pieces off in preparation for what you could find, which, you know, I get it. You don't want to go in empty handed. It's really hard to move something on the spot when you need cash right away. So even though you were both ready to make a move for your grails, they just weren't there. So if you had to do it over again, knowing what you know, do you still think that was the correct approach, kind of losing those assets ahead of time? Uh, Or do you think maybe you would try and sell something on the spot or there were some uh, consigners there, I think, that were taking items for a certain comp? What do you think you would do? Let's go ahead and hear from Chad first. No, Kyle, that's such
1: a tough question. I I think I would do the same thing again. The difficult part about this is I try really hard after I sell a card to not go back and look at values after, or at least if I do, like be fully committed when I go to sell it to make sure I'm not going to have regrets about it. And if it's a card that I'm not going to get back, or if it's a card I really care about, then I'm just not going to try and sell it or offer it at all. So I'm happy, even though I didn't pick up much more and even though I didn't find the cards that I wanted, certainly I didn't find the volume of cards that Carter did that I ended up picking up. Um, I'm still completely okay with the cards that I took with me because I planned for that ahead of time. And I knew that if I brought those cards with me, it's okay to sell them. Like I had that heart to heart, you know, stared myself in the mirror. And uh, took some photos with those cards before I brought them out with me to Chicago. And I'm I'm okay with that decision. So as long as you're not someone who's going to go back and really mourn over that or really beat yourself up, if a player explodes and then the values go up, then then you really just can't take a look back there and, and be okay with that. So I I was pleased with my decision.
0: Now, Carter, it sounds like you found a lot more to kind of substitute for the stuff, even though you did find some stuff you were looking for. Um do you have any regrets about moving a lot of stuff ahead of time?
2: I don't. I didn't really have to move anything that I would regret in the first place because of how long I was projecting out my my fundraising. Um I started really early. <laughs> mm-hmm. I started um like right at the beginning of the year. I set a new plan for how I was going to buy a lot less and how I was going to sell a lot more. And so that allowed me to really prioritize selling the things that I wanted to sell the most and being able to save that back. And so I guess if there's anything that was difficult for me, it was passing up some things that I really wanted to buy. Um, But at the end of the day, I think it actually kind of like this. If you can track with me here, like saving for the national was something that I've never done before. And doing that actually kind of changed my tastes when it comes to buying. Um, Maybe in the sense that it narrowed them. Yeah. Refined them a little bit refined is a great word because I don't necessarily regret any of the things that I used to want to buy that I don't want to buy anymore. You know, it's kind of like when you cut out sugar and then Mm -hmm. after a while you don't want sugar anymore. It's like, I don't necessarily miss it if it's that bad for me and I don't want it anymore. You know, I think I'm buying a lot better now um, on a regular basis because of this experience. And so that's been a really interesting twist this year for me.
0: So maybe the question for you then is not, do you regret that it is. Do you think you started saving uh, early enough, or would you do it earlier? Or maybe do you think you could give yourself another two months to not start saving, or, or would you change that approach?
2: Oh, I think um, I'm probably gonna start saving now for okay. whatever show I go to next year, um, but do it a lot more incrementally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, put put aside a lot smaller percentage of you know kind of my my sales income from hobby stuff every month, and just see where that goes. And then probably by the time early next year gets gets here, I'll be able to know, like, okay, here's where I'm at with what I have for inventory. Here's where I've fundraised. Do I need to start now or can I kick it down the road? Um, that kind of reevaluation. You
1: know, Kyle, being on the other side of that, I would wholeheartedly agree with that approach. Like, I, I was the guy who short stacked, you know, so to speak, on going into it. And Carter, I've had the same thoughts already for whatever show I end up going to next year. Is having that same approach because I I don't want to get stuck, almost not being forced to sell cards as you asked before, Kyle. But I don't even want to have to think about that because that's just a position that doesn't lead to as much fun in the hobby as we should be having.
0: Chad, I mean, I think you did have a good plan though. From what we talked about, it's just the cards that you sent for consignment. Just that maybe the timing wasn't right. Um, so maybe maybe just modify it. Just start that earlier, but. Um, I I do think you, you know, you did have somewhat of a plan. It's just um, and, and maybe there's a bigger plan in the long run with with your funds and everything. Okay, so even though the National is a giant card show, there's more to it than just buying or trading cards. We'll get to the dinners and trade nights and some of the things closer to the venue in a little bit. Both of you talked about exploring the Chicago side a little as well. Carter, I feel like you probably had the best approach because you and your wife spent several days in Chicago prior to the show. Uh, although if if that was me, I don't, man, I think I would be wore out
2: by then. So I'm curious
0: to see how that worked for you. Do you think that was the right approach? Um,
2: yes and no. Uh, so my wife and I've been talking about doing a vacation to Chicago for a while. And so when I decided I was going to go to the national, I asked her if she wanted to conjoin that with a trip. And we ended up, we ended up taking about the same amount of time that we normally would for a vacation. Like four nights is kind of like our limit for one place. And we did that and um, and it was a lot like I felt like, OK, I'm ready to go home. And then I had the national staring me in the <laughs> face, which was a much more physically taxing thing. Um, You guys kept me up way later than was fair. And uh, you made me walk so far. I'm just kidding. Actually, the the show floor made me walk so far and there was no avoiding that. And so, yeah, I was really tired. I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea to kind of add a couple of days if you want to see the sights in a place, that might be great. But I don't think it's necessarily like the way to go. I think you got to know what you're getting into. And
0: I, I do need to give Carter credit here. There was um, he gave me a ride several night. Well, most nights, actually, after trade nights. And there was one night where we were packing up at 1030. Things kind of changed where it looked like there were going to be some deals um, that were going to go down. And he, you know, pivoted and said, okay, let's do this. And uh, I made a, a deal at like 2.30 in the morning that, you know, really helped me make some moves later on. So kudos to Carter for sticking in there, not just sticking in there, an extra four hours.
2: Well, and and I'll tell you, it was you making that deal that made me not regret that extra four hours. Like that was, <laughs> I, I was standing up with my backpack on at like 1.32 in the morning and I was like, I want to go home. I'm going to die. And this guy who had tried to make a deal with me unsuccessfully, probably because I was grumpy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hate on him too hard. He was taking his sweet time. And the fact that he y'all actually landed that deal and it was such a big deal, and it was a big part of your, you know, main quest with the Iverson card and everything, that made that kind of risk worth it. I think that's one of the things about the national that's different than other shows for me, is that you kind of take those risks with going all in. And uh, I know, Chad, you have mentioned on your podcast about how that kind of burned you a couple of times, but it's like, if we don't take that risk, we never know, you know, um, sometimes it burns you and sometimes it leads to a really cool story.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I, it might've even been a better story had it not worked out after making you wait four hours and then a deal not going down. Um, but, I disagree. <laughs> all right, but we'll never know, I guess. Now, Chad, um, what about you? I know you talked about, a, I think, a ghost hunt or going for a run. Were you able to fit that stuff in? How did it go for you?
1: Yeah, I did a couple of different things. And let me say this, Carter, I think it's all about perspective on timeframes because there were a couple of times I was trying to turn it in about nine or 930 and uh you came walking back from the bar with a big grin on your face and you happen to just have two drinks um one for yourself and then one for me and so uh you kept me up a little bit past my bedtime too but i enjoyed the hell out of that experience so i appreciate that but yes kyle there were a couple of things that we did there was like a forest with a running trail right next to my hotel. I don't even know if you guys noticed this when you drove out, like you go out and you kind of take a left, whereas it it was dark.
0: Not It was always dark when I was driving down.
1: Well, it was really creepy. So you take a bridge across a river and there's a very large park with a trailway there. So I actually met up with a couple of people Thursday morning and went for a run Friday. I think our hotel was shaking from thunder and lightning, which terrifies me. So I didn't step out then, but then went back out Saturday, actually got a little bit lost on that trail. And was confronted and inside this forest, like you were fully in a forest, like you see nothing aside from two deer who were staring me down, uh, stopped me dead in my tracks. And I didn't know if I could go past them or if they were just going to beat me down in the middle of that trail. So I did pull out my video camera and started recording, tried to run past them, and just in case they did decide to try and kill me, at least you guys would have had some good footage. But fortunately that didn't happen. So The runs did happen. The ghost hunting did not happen. Uh, That's far too late into the night to add a national too. But the other thing that did happen is Tim, Tim and I did find a casino and we did go there Saturday when we were a little burned out from the show floor and got to play poker with Tim. You know, Tim entered the world series of poker once upon a time and was near the top of the leaderboard at the end of day one. And Tim and I sat down next to each other and we're playing. We kind of had this unspoken rule that we wouldn't bet against each other. It was no limit. And I ended up check raising him and beat him on an ace high flush at one point. I will never let him forget that. So that was checked off my bucket list as well. So yeah, some of those other things did make it a whole lot of fun and added a very nice break to otherwise pounding the pavement inside the show floor.
0: I kind of had a feeling that Tim would end up at that casino at some point. So uh, he did not let us down there. So, all right. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about the trade nights, both official and unofficial. And we all went to the big one Thursday night. Um, Obviously, well, the amount of people there was insane. And I, I think you guys might have gone to some of the other events as well. I know, Chad, you had talked about a wrestling trade night. And then, of course, our unofficial trade night headquarters was at the Hyatt. So, Chad, talk to me about your trade night experiences. What are some
1: of the moments from those that stood out to you? The trade night experiences were great. The main trade night, as you mentioned, it was overwhelming. You know, I stayed for maybe half an hour and and then left. I think for anyone who wasn't there just to get an idea is very, very large show floor with countless round tables. And then people would just kind of set up their cards on the tables. And the hard part with that is that it was very narrow and did not have a good path to walk from table to table to be able to see the cards and so for me that just wasn't my jam so i ended up leaving that one had a ton of fun waiting in line with you guys uh, before it was nice of kyle to come wait in line with carter and i for this show as compared to dallas last year so we ended up having a blast there Um, it's
0: easier when when someone brings the dinner to me that that made it a little more uh, palatable to do that so thanks carter
1: I do have an amazing video of that. If you want to throw that up on your YouTube, people may really enjoy that. Carter carrying uh, is four very large pizzas into trade night, and everyone's head collectively whipped around to see those pizzas as he walked past. Well, four very large
0: pizzas, a duffel bag, a trade bag. Carter, was there anything else? Because carrying is an understatement. You were uh, juggling
2: a lot of stuff. Yeah, lugging might be the proper term. Yes, lugging. Um, But... uh... Yeah, here's all I'm going to say about that is um, hashtag invest in pizza.
0: Yeah, when people get hungry enough, uh, invest in pizza. So uh, any other, aside from just lugging stuff around, Carter, anything else from the trade night that stood
2: out to you? Yeah, trade night was it was huge. And um, we talked a little bit about this. You know, the the Dallas Card Show had long tables, um, skinny tables, but they were long. And so it kind of lent more naturally to, you know, having someone sit on one side with their cards laid out, people walking by on the other side. These were round tables, which Kyle, you mentioned at the show, like this is kind of a weird layout, kind of makes it difficult to kind of see everybody's stuff and get by and all that. Um, And there was just a lot of tables. Mm -hmm. And so it almost at one point felt like even at the height, most people were sitting, um, which made for a, a weird dynamic with a trade night. Yeah. it, it was fine. I mean, it was it was a decent time to spend. I, I met up with more people who I'd talked with on Instagram, but hadn't been hanging out with. Um, I met up with folks there uh, much more than any other one place. It was hard to meet up at the show, but like trade night was easier. And then I think probably the impromptu trade nights at the hotel were maybe more fun. Uh, it was more of a relaxed atmosphere sitting in the hotel lobby, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it was kind of slower for us in the the lobbies at the start of the week. In fact, it, it had we not, uh, well, the first night um, we ran into George Gervin, like had we not run into George Gervin, I think that first night kind of would have been a dud because we weren't there long. No, no one else was there. Not much was happening, but um, I think the other hotels overflowed and by the end of the week, we got a lot of that and it all culminated in that last night, which I thought was a lot of fun. Now, as we were nearing the end of our time at the show, our group came to the realization that Chicago, or, or maybe just the national in general, might be too big for us. Or uh, maybe we stayed too many days, or maybe we're too old. I don't know, maybe a combination of everything. But we were all pretty exhausted. So I'm I'm wondering now, were we just thinking too much in the moment there? Or now that we've settled and, and we're back at home, And we've had some time to process things. I want to revisit that conversation. So if you had to make a decision today, are you going to Cleveland in 2024? Or are you going with one of the other options? Maybe another bigger regional show instead. So Chad, we'll start with you.
1: You know, I'm not. And it's a pretty easy answer for me not to go to Cleveland or maybe a national again in the next year or two. There's one caveat to that. And that's if the collective group of people that I want to be at a card show with are only going to be at that show, then I would still go. So that would kind of leverage that in a different way. But for me, it's too much. And just the card buying atmosphere is not perfect for the setting that I like to buy cards in, which is a little more relaxed. I like to have time to go through and look, maybe chat with the dealer, think about the card and go back to it, know where I can find it, um, have it somewhere that's air conditioned and that atmosphere just isn't at the national. So even though it's an incredible space and I love everything that goes on there, it's not perfect for me.
0: Yeah. And I like all of the factors you said there, those are things that I value a lot too. So I was trying to think what's the biggest show I can go to without compromising those things. And uh, from what I've heard, and I heard another podcast talking about this, it sounds like it's the national and then it's Dallas and burbank and then everything below that is is like a drastic drop off from there not that all the shows below that are bad but if you want something big it's probably going to be dallas or burbank Um, i also like the indie show in uh technically it was in fishers but it's not on that same level as at least dallas i can speak for that one because i've been there carter what are you thinking national in 2024 what's on your mind
2: I, I'm probably falling kind of in line with Chad and, and really what it comes down to is I just don't, after having experienced it, I don't think that I need to be a national every year kind of person. I do understand that there are people who do need to, the way that they interact in the hobby. um, It makes the most sense for them to make the sacrifices they need to make to be at the national every single year. Um, That's something they prioritize. I don't feel like it has to be for me. I think I could have another slow run up like I did to this one and be really happy with that. And then in the meantime, um, just go to bigger shows where I feel like I could still accomplish my goals. I agree with what Chad said about just card buying for everything that's there and how much people say that, you know, if it's there, if it's if it exists, you can find it at the national, which I think is a, a misnomer that needs to be uh, fleshed mm-hmm. out a little bit more. It's more complicated than that. But it's also really hard to buy cards there. I'll say I I felt more challenged. It felt more, more difficult for me to actually acquire things there given the amount of inventory um, that was available. And so I think I could be just as successful at buying cards. And then certainly the more chill atmosphere of something that's more in the uh, four to six, even 800 table range. Something where you can spend one less day than the national um, mm-hmm. and still be there the whole time. And you can see everything while you're there. While having plenty of space to kind of pull away with your group and, and and take a breather and not feel as, you know, cramped. It sounds good to me.
0: Yeah, I, I think we're kind of all on the same page there. I mean, the good news is we've got time. I know people are saying, well, the hotels right next to the convention center in Cleveland have already sold out. Yeah, we've got time, right? stuff will change. I'm in no hurry to do any of that. Um, and quite frankly, I don't I don't think I'm ready to make that decision right now either. I am still incredibly wore out. So All right, gentlemen, I enjoyed hanging out with you at this show. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to come on today and on relatively short notice. That means a lot to me. Before we go, just like last time, I want to give you some time to offer up any final thoughts, give your social handles, and plug anything you might be working on or looking for. Chad, we're going to let you go first this time. Last time I had Carter go first.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. So, as Kyle mentioned earlier, uh, Tim and I host Pack to the Future podcast. I think many of you are aware of it, but if you're not, please go check us out. We're very active on Instagram and would love to um, chat with you there. We have shows that drop every Saturday and sometimes on Wednesday. So, I'll use this kind of spot to promote. We are looking for people's favorite card stories. You know, Carter, you've presented one. Um, and ultimately, what we are looking for is find a card story that's meaningful to you. Record it on any device you can and email it to us at pack to the future podcast at gmail.com and we'll get it presented up and drop it on our Wednesday card stories um, so that you can have a platform to, to tell your story. Um, but otherwise, Kyle, I think that's it. And you know what? I'd be happy to come on anytime on short notice for you. Um, certainly appreciate it and loved hanging out with you guys. we were there. Um, Just real quickly, there's one other story I want to tell that trade night. You're not going to find this anywhere but the National. That very last night we were there, somehow, like I went to my room and I came back. I ended up seeing you guys. We had our trade table full of a dessert tort with crumbs everywhere. We had a real life Chaz who was talking card grading. (laughs) And somehow he knew someone from Leaf. We had his buddy who was just all sails to the wind, couldn't even stand up. Who somehow was being hit on by someone who's maybe like a little developmentally delayed? It was like the oddest card scene in a trade night that I think he I had stole Tim's seen. blanket, too. Of course, he did. It, it was very odd. So, you're not going to see that anywhere, I would suspect, other than the national. But yeah, I'll kind of end it with that odd note.
0: All right. And Carter, let's hear some words of wisdom from you to, to close it out today.
2: I want to add on to Chad's note about that particular final night um, in that my mind was blown by witnessing the largest cash transaction um, that I have ever seen. Those guys that were sitting on the floor for like an hour and a half, maybe, they were doing one deal with multiple high-end cards. And... um I good thing. I don't know their names. I wouldn't say anyway, in case the IRS listens to Wag Museum podcasts. <laughs> but it was a $22,000 deal going on right next to us. You know, luckily just, just out of reach of the tort crumbs. But that was also something that I was like, only, only at the national, would you see this? You wouldn't even see this in Dallas. This is just bonkers. Like that's a car. Yeah. When, when we
0: say we, we closed a big deal at two 30, like us closing a quote unquote big deal. And then the, the 22 grand, on the floor is like they're on way different
2: levels. Yeah. I saved for almost a year to bring a 10th of that amount to the national. I was like, this is the most money I've ever had for cards. And it was, (laughs) uh, it would just didn't even touch some people. So I I realized that I was a little fish in a big pond, but I was fine with that. I I still had a great time. I hope those guys did too. They looked really nervous, but as far as words of wisdom go, Um, You guys can still go to my Instagram and you can see my hobby goals for the year, including the pickups that I'm looking for. Very few of those are checked off. The second half of the year is about getting as many of those as possible. So any leads are appreciated.
0: All right. And we will, um, if you don't find them on Carter's profile, we'll make sure I'll get those posted up as well. Chad, I'll get the information for card stories. I'll try and get that up. And then as usual, you guys can find me on Instagram under at wax museum podcast or X under the handle at WaxMuseumPC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the website for my affiliate links. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.